Hi there, friend. My name is John Werner. I used to be a part of the largest cult in the United States. After studying the Bible, Christian history, and ministry, I set my sights on confronting the problematic nature of white evangelicalism in the United States. In 2019, I published my first book as a first step in addressing the subtle issues of this complex system. This podcast will continue that work under the same title. Welcome to The Cult of Christianity. Well, on today's episode, I have one of my closest friends joining me. Uh, Me and him have probably had more talks about uh, controversial issues, about uh, specifically religious issues, and I knew he would come on when I first started this thing, and I finally got him here. Welcome to the show, Chris. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. It, you know, it. I'm doing as well as I was for the last hour that we've been talking leading up to this podcast uh, recording. <laughs> yeah, me and me and Chris have a bad habit of just like uh, going into these ridiculous riffs and joking with each other, but uh, it's part of the reason I like talking to you. Um, so it'll be interesting trying to have a somewhat focused conversation with you. I know. When's the last time we ever tried to have a focused conversation? Frankly, I don't think we've ever tried it. <laughs> I think it, it sometimes happens, but I don't think we ever uh, go about trying to have a specific one. But uh, for context to the listener, uh, me and you met in Bible college uh, while we were studying um, to be different kinds of spiritual leaders, to, so to speak. I, and uh, we, we've been on several worship teams together playing music and, uh, all, you know, both, you know, secular and also uh, religious music and played a lot in church and uh yeah have gotten to know each other uh on some pretty deep levels um when you were growing up in church i i don't know much about your growing up life uh to be to be frank at least how it relates to church did you have like a mentor or a particular program that you participated in like did you learn music like only in church or did you have lessons outside of church can you tell me about that yeah yeah so well, as far as music lessons, I mean, I've been playing music since I was five years old. And that side of things, as far as that, I mean, that went, that was specifically like learning to play the piano. Um, that's the only like training I have ever received as far as um, like formal music training. Uh, that was all outside of the church. Um, I'm pretty sure that all of my piano teachers were quote unquote Christians. Um, that was a a given <laughs> based on the 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 group I grew up in, but, um, it was always outside of the church and wasn't really connected to my, my particular congregation or anything like that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the mentorship side of things, um, definitely I did have a, uh, a mentor. I mean, obviously as I was planning on going into worship ministry, um, that, that whole thing started probably late middle school, early high school, um, became more of an interest and a passion of mine. And, um, I started a mentorship with a, uh, a recent hire at the church that I was attending in high school who had, he'd taken over the worship ministry, um, the director of worship ministry role. And, um, he, he picked up on my interest pretty early on and saw that I was interested in pursuing that as a career even. So he, uh, started, he started mentoring me, um, under a formal, uh, internship at the church 
think when I was 16 or 17 years old, um, I think it was probably about 17. And, um, he's actually part of the reason that I ended up going to Bible college. Um, which I find, I find it really amusing that ironically, he actually apologized for that later on. Uh, cause he, he had a, a deconstruction experience um, of his faith, um, around the same time that I think that I did and that you did. Um, so that was, that that's kind of a funny thing is when I reconnect with him that there's still that kind of like, Hey, yeah. So about the whole, that whole worship thing, uh, there's a validity to it. Um, there's, there's a validity to that passion and the things that we cared about at the time, but, um, you definitely influenced my, uh, pursuit of that career, that pursuit of that ministry. Um, and both of us in, in retrospect kind of went, well, maybe this isn't the greatest thing. Um, you know, the way that it looks currently in evangelicalism, um, maybe, maybe that was problematic in some ways. Well, how old were you when you started playing music specifically in church? Specifically in church was oof, probably about 13. Um, I have distinctive memories of in middle school, there were a few times that I was permitted to kind of hop up on stage and join the uh, the youth group worship band. Um, there it was It was pretty inconsistent. It wasn't something that I like was formally involved in. Um, but there were a few times that I started, you know, hopping up there and getting to, getting to play, um, off of some chord charts or whatever, um, on the keyboard. And I think that mainly happened that started when I was 13, 14 years old. And it was definitely in middle school. The, the really strong, like involvement, the really intentional involvement definitely started in high school. Um, I was in about ninth grade or so. That was when I started playing almost weekly in some form or another, um, in a youth group band for, for worship and, um, things like that at the church. Well, how did you, um, initially perceive music like spiritually or secularly and how did it connect to maybe like a more general understanding of, um, just art, like music as a form of art? Yeah. Music, music for me growing up, um, was very much a spiritual thing. So, there were little snippets and little pieces of secular music in my life growing up, but nothing significant. My world was built around the church. Um, I was homeschooled. I went to a Christian homeschool group. I mainly got my social interactions through church and the Christian homeschool group. So Christianity, um, specifically like that, 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 sort of white evangelical Christianity was the definition of my whole life. Um, that definitely affected the music that I was exposed to and listened to. I was protected from quote unquote, uh, was sheltered from, uh, secular music, broadly speaking, you know, like I, I'm the first thing that comes to mind is like, I, I, I knew the words to like a song like home, home on the range or something like that, you know, kind of songs that a kid might, learn um but never any form of popular music i i remember like my mom freaking out a little bit when as a middle schooler i think i revealed to her that i had no idea who the beatles were um that's when she started to go "Ooh, 
maybe we missed some things. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's just kind of the world I grew up in was it was all, all centered around church music and Christian music. So the, the kind of, the kind of uh, entertainment that we listened to as far as music went was very much like contemporary Christian music, things like that. And then at church, there was a blend of, um, you know, contemporary worship music and hymns and whatever sort of, you know, cr- contemporary Christian music might have seeped into the the church somehow or another. But pretty much there was almost no exposure to secular music to the extent that by the time I was hearing it um, in youth group and getting exposed to it in youth group, it honestly made me uncomfortable. And I was kind of uh, afraid of it most of the time. And up until literally the very end of high school, I couldn't connect with it. I, I associated music with spirituality and I associated music with God. And so if music did not relate to God in some way or another, or, or at least to what I considered to be deep, um, meaningful, spiritual thought to me, I couldn't connect with the music. Um, I was not able to listen to music from another perspective outside of my own. And my perspective was so steeped in spirituality and Christianity and theology that if, if the music wasn't connected to that in some way, um, visibly, very obviously, I actually really struggled to listen to it. Wow. I mean, that's pretty intense. I mean, I definitely, um, had an extremist view when it came to music, but I feel like it was more, um, uh art belongs to god and anything that doesn't connect to that art form is bad and so i think for me it was more like you could listen to secular music but you had to be thinking about god if you were doing it or something like that but you're saying it was pretty pretty dang associated did that factor into um whenever you decided to go to bible college yeah so the the guy i referred to earlier that mentor that i had in high school he I have him to thank actually for my uh, ability to start listening to other kinds of music um, because he, even, even when he was um, involved with the more conservative aspects of evangelicalism, even at that time, he was, he was a little bit of a, uh, a wild card or a, a dark horse of some kind, you know, he would, he would kind of push back against some things and he, he noticed that, aspect of my personality he recognized that uh this guy doesn't know how to listen to perspectives different from his own um so he 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 was able to kind of start telling me like you should try listening to different kinds of music and people who are not christians you should you should listen to music outside of you know christian music um and while doing so just put yourself in like I try to understand the mindset of the person writing it. Where are these people coming from? Like, and kind of like you said, like there was this, like, you can, you can think about God while you're listening to secular music. You can think about, you know, the perspectives you're listening to and compare that to what, what that means for, you know, faith, spirituality, philosophy of life, whatever. And like, kind of, you, you, you can have like a deep thought about music that maybe you disagree with or music that, expresses views that are contradictory to the teachings that you were given. 
so there's that part of things but then like at the same time i still you know i i had a passion for music and i had a passion for the 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 strong belief i had in evangelical christianity this really strong belief in um my relationship with god and i wanted I wanted to center my life around that. I wanted my life to be connected entirely to my relationship with um, my creator and my savior, which then meant, well, what skills do I have? What what am I good at? And the, the answer was, well, I'm good at music. I'm good at playing music. And I've been learning to lead worship and sing and things like that. So I'm going to just push into that. I'm going to pursue that. And... I mean, to be frank, like worship programs at liberal arts, like Christian liberal arts schools, they were more expensive. Um, And a lot of times involved like learning a bunch of technical stuff about music that I wasn't interested in at the time. Um, And the Moody Bible Institute where, where we attended and met, like that was actually, they didn't have a music program at the the specifically at the campus in Washington in Spokane that I looked at. Um, and then the, the music program they did have in their main campus in Chicago wasn't even something I was interested in at all because it had very little to do with contemporary worship. Um, so at first I was like, well, you know, I, I got to visit the campus and visit the school, this tiny little college, which probably part of the reason I felt like, wow, I actually really like this. I really feel at home here. I feel welcomed here is partly because I was surrounded by all these students who were homeschooled. Um, and it is a very, very, very small, uh, place. So for me, it was not overwhelming. It was less overwhelming than the community college I was attending, um, at the time. And that part of things that made me comfortable. And I was like, I like a lot of this place. I like a lot about what I'm seeing and hearing here. So I wish I could go here, but they don't have a worship program. And then at some point I had, I, you know, a couple of different, um, church leaders, mentors, um, tell me like, well, you know, you don't have to get a degree in worship ministry to be like a worship leader or a worship pastor. Like it actually might be better for you to get a degree in like biblical education um, so that you can apply that then and like just pursue music and worship outside of your school program and put the two things together. And I was like, okay, cool. That's great. That's easy. And, you know, ultimately Moody was like the cheapest option. So I get to take that. I was like, yeah, I can afford that. That's, that's not expensive and it won't put me in massive debt. Sounds great. And so I moved to Spokane and immediately started trying to get involved with worship ministry. And I did, um, while at the same time, you know, studying the Bible in depth and really learning about theology and scripture. Yeah, that's, that's funny. I don't know if you actually, if we've ever talked about this, but when I first toured Moody Chicago, I was also interested in their music program um, at the time and uh, quickly realized it was not for me because it was basically a program that promotes like choir. I mean, it was basically that was what you would go there for. How to learn to play the organ. Yeah, exactly. Like, definitely not what I was interested in. Um, And uh, yeah, that was actually in some ways probably pretty good advice you received um, to like, you know, really anyone can be a worship pastor. I'm sure you found that to be true very quickly. Um, 
very quickly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you already mentioned some, but what were you just your uh, first year impressions of Moody? First year impressions were like uh, super, I mean, beyond the, the immense depression that I was in at the time that I was there, um, I thought it was great. I, I was like surrounded by people who were like-minded, but um, still in my mind, at least diverse. Like there were a lot of different, you know, backgrounds, people from a lot of different backgrounds and interests and things that they wanted to do. Looking at it now, I'm like, well, that was a huge, very, very monolithic group. But at the time it seemed like, wow, there's so many different kinds of people who are interested in like learning about the Bible. Yeah. I I mean, I thought it was great my first year, especially to, to be surrounded by people who thought and believed a lot of similar things. Um, it felt very safe. Um, which if I'm honest, that is, I think what I was pursuing at the time. I wanted to be in a safe community. I wanted to be in a, a community of people who were learning and growing, but who were essentially theologically safe. You know, they weren't going to be, we weren't going to be taught things that I thought were, um, heretical or, um, unbiblical. And we were a group of people who all basically agreed to the same tenets and beliefs and committed to a similar lifestyle. So at the time that made me feel very at home, very safe. I was in a familiar environment, even though I was in a different city with different types of people. Um, and I was able to get involved with music at the school, the worship, like chapel music. Um, and so that was super fun. That was that was a great way to start to feel like I belonged um, in, in a way that I was able to show my skills and use them, um, as I would have said, like I, you know, using them for the Lord in some way. Um, and I was involved then and connected to other musicians and all of those kinds of things. And it was, for me, that was a blast. That was a lot of fun. Um, and most of my more negative experiences didn't really start until later on. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably pretty typical that people their first year, I mean, there's a lot going on, you know, you're you're starting to become an adult, you're kind of on your own. And so like, there's, there's an element of um, fun to, I guess, your first year of college. And, and I think I felt some of that even, you know, I would even say my first two years at Moody, um, in some ways, even though I certainly had my struggles right off the bat. But um I know you were a little bit more of an outsider pretty quickly, right from the beginning. You were like, oh, some of this seems wrong. And for me, definitely those first two years, I was like, this is great. Everything's great. Why do people talk about Moody? Why are people saying bad things about the school they go to? I don't get it. And I, and I think that is like such a, um, I don't know, like you you were talking about like, you know, it feeling diverse, even though it was pretty monolithic. I mean, it is true. There were still plenty of people from different backgrounds at that school. It's just funny to be like, when I explain to coworkers now who are just, just complete, like not connected to, you know, Christianity. If I ever try to explain what diversity at Moody meant, like I'm talking about like, oh yeah, there was like, you know, sometimes you had people who believed in five point Calvinism. And sometimes you had people who believed in free will and they, they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> it's certainly its own click. And uh, 
you know, academically, I think it was pretty, um, a pretty well-rounded education in a lot of ways. I will say, um, I'm curious if your perspective on Christian music specifically, you know, I know you were on a couple worship teams and were a worship leader, both inside of Moody and uh, outside of Moody at church. Did your perspective on Christian music and worship music change over the four years you were at Moody? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you were to try to draw a graph, um, it would probably look like a roller coaster ride a little bit. I came on, came in with all of the presuppositions that I had from the one church that I had really grown up in. Um, I knew a lot of people who had been to, you know, a number of different churches growing up and things like that. For me, I, I, we moved to churches when I was like six, five or six years old. And then I did not go to another church um, after that. So I had a very, very stable and um, for lack of a better word, I guess a monolithic experience. Like this was church for me. This was what it was. It was this one non-denominational church that I attended. So my whole perspective of worship was kind of grown out of that one place. And I didn't really listen to worship music or anything like that. I've never been the kind of person that listens to worship music specifically, you know, like never, never was the kind of person playing like Hillsong or um, anything like that. Um, Especially as I started to develop my own tastes in music. So, so I mean, I would learn my, I would learn the worship music genre specifically just from church um and going to moody like all of a sudden i was exposed to whole new threads of and sources of uh worship music a uh big a big alteration for me was this emphasis on doctrine um those first couple of years at moody i there was this very heavy emphasis on doctrine being an important part of worship And I, I, you know, I always tempered it a little bit with this, like, well, emotion is still an important part, but I had a kind of negative relationship with emotions from probably the age of 16 up until 21, where I basically believed that emotions were an invalid or less valid aspect of a relationship with God and therefore with worship. And I wanted worship to be an emotional experience. And for me, like the draw was the way that music made me feel emotion. But I also consistently philosophically believed that like emotions did not equate to um, connecting with God. So, you know, I took that thread, that, that line of reasoning in with me to Bible college and then was exposed to all of these people basically saying worship should be about the words and the lyrics. It shouldn't be about, you know, the, the music. And so there was a lot of criticism of, and um, negative conversations about so-called shallow worship music that was, you know, more repetitive, um, less deep in uh, lyrical content, less, less theologically, deep and I got really into that for a bit I was really like on board with that idea like well yeah like you know what if you can have good music that also is really doctrinally sound uh and you know as I progressed through my time at bible college I I did start to kind of go well you know but maybe like there are different valid forms of worship like maybe like 
you know, if, if just playing music, right. Instrumentally, like if a musician just plays music and they're, they're inspired by their belief in, in God, like, isn't that worship? Like it doesn't have to have any lyrics at all and it can still be a worshipful thing. So as I kind of drew on that thought, I started to kind of let go of a little bit of my very narrow minded views of, of, uh, of Christian worship music. And I started to kind of go, you know, I think that even songs that are simple and repetitive and less doctrinally deep and more emotionally, they're, they're more emotionally based. Those still have validity and those are still good. And so, so there was a period where I started to kind of try to find a balance between those, those two concepts, which in, at least in conservative Christianity, there's a pretty big battle between those two things, you know, highly emotional worship and highly, uh, heady doctrinal theological worship. Yeah, there certainly are worship wars, um, and I would definitely want to get into that. Uh, before we do, I, this is just a random fun question because I don't think I've ever asked you. Um, we played in a couple different groups together, and I just am curious which was your favorite. Like, which one did you have the most fun in? Yeah, that one's hard. There was the we put a whole band together, right, just to play a specific. I think we just played um, "Shut Up and Dance" by Walk the Moon, and we just like named ourselves "Run the Sun." That was very fun. I had a good time with that one. Um, I think as far as like the music side of things goes, that might've been the most fun. Cause we just, we, that was a, it was a really good crew of very talented musicians. Um, and it just came together like magic. Um, but I mean, our, we had our main, our main group that we did our, our thing with the, the whole Risa and the kids band. That was, uh, that was very fun. We, you know, we performed a, a number of times and, we just did not commit to a genre at all. And I thought that was hilarious. And it was a, a really entertaining. It, it, it maybe it maybe would never have worked if we were trying to be anything, but because we were just a bunch of people trying to play music together, it was a, it was a blast to just be like, Hey, what about this song? Like, you know, I don't care if it's folk or rap, like we're going to figure out how to, you know, perform it. Uh, and that was a good time. That was definitely just really entertaining that we, we set no limits for ourselves. We just were like, if we can figure out a way to make it happen, like let's play the song, you know? Uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I did too. I, I would say, yeah, that probably same for me. It's funny that both of those bands were not uh, worship bands. Um, <laughs> uh, that we had more fun in. How did you, uh, well, like fast forwarding to now, um, how do you perceive music now, both sacred and secular, or if there's a difference to you? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, you know, I was thinking about this just like oof, yesterday or the day before I was listening to music and thinking about how, for some reason, to this day, music still has this very spiritual, um, there, there's just something spiritual about it for me, where I still connect with music that is... Um, deep or broad or um it's less i i can enjoy like a lot of different kinds of music um like a lot of different kinds of music but i still have this tendency when i hear especially like for example if i listen to like a uh, music from like a, a mainstream like pop artist like 
if I'm hearing a song by somebody who's going to be hitting like the top 40 and they have a track that's really deep or, you know, it, it's less about, you know, the typical like, you know, love songs or, or party music or whatever it is. And there's, you know, something more about for, for whatever it might be, the, the meaning of life or their connection with God or the divine or, um, sometimes more political issues or whatever it is like those are the ones that really connect with me i'm gonna i'm gonna be drawn to those songs and i i I think that that's just been pounded into me since the very beginning that like music is supposed to have meaning music is supposed to be deep i love a good love song um but those are never the songs that are going to be at the top of my list as like favorite songs and it's just like ingrained in who i am and i i can look at it now and be like oh, that's, I think that was done to me. You know, that's just not, that's not necessarily just who I am. That was, I was crafted into that person in a way. That's actually really interesting that you put it that way because I've been wondering if music can manipulate people and maybe as a caveat, is it people manipulating other people through music kind of as a weapon, I guess, or is there something inherently um, manipulative about the emotion music can bring out? Honestly, both, I think. What's kind of crazy is that music has the ability to do the same thing that, from my perspective, that Christianity has the ability to do. Um, you know, in a lot of our conversations um, stemming from your pursuit of this concept of Christianity being a cult. You, when you talk about Christianity as a cult, sometimes your your rhetoric and direction becomes a little bit more precisely like you, you will describe leaders and and pastors as cult leaders, which sometimes they are. A lot of times they are. What I find fascinating, what I really get focused on when I talk about the cultish aspects of um, at least evangelical Christianity is the self-sustaining aspects um, of the, the cultish behavior. I'm less interested in um, people who will take advantage of and manipulate the system. I, I see those people. But what really disturbs me and what I get caught up by are people who are so enamored with or so enveloped by the belief system that they're in, that they will manage to self-sustain cult-like beliefs and behaviors without intending to, without meaning to. Um, And the same thing, music kind of has that impact as well, where like music can manipulate people, even if you're not trying to, you don't necessarily always think that you are, you know, even with worship music, right? Like you get really into um performing or 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 leading uh, a worship song you for me at least there were times i would i would stop thinking about all the people in the room it had at that point i was in my mind worshiping i was connecting with the divine deeply connected to god you know reflecting on what i was singing about or a lot of times not even really doing that but just like emotionally connecting with god i, I was emoting and what's crazy is that when you do that, um, in a spiritual context, especially you, 
influence the people who are there with you, who are witnessing that happen. And as a person, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily call you an, uh, call somebody an observer. I suppose sometimes they're observers, but a lot of times it's more that you're, you know, the, the congregation broadly, that the people who are out there in the congregation or audience or whatever you want to call it, supposedly worshiping alongside of you, when they witness someone really getting into um, music and, and worship music especially, they can be very easily caught up in the emotion of the person who's leading them, the, the band member or the worship leader, or, you know, honestly, like just the artist, like even in a secular context, when somebody gets really into music, it's powerful. You can feel it, you can see it. Um, and you get in, engulfed in it. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. And so in some way that is manipulative, whether or not it's intended to be it. And so, so when you, when you describe like, can, can somebody manipulate with music? Well, yes. And is music just manipulative on its own? Yes. It, it is both things. You can accidentally manipulate people into um, getting into a very worshipful or uh, emotional state. And you can, if that is the kind of person you are, you can also do it intentionally. You can, uh, the thing that comes to mind for me is like in, in a lot of, uh, worship services or, or, uh, church services in general, I guess the, the, the image of somebody playing music while someone finishes their sermon or playing some music while they pray, um, those two things really get to me where that the whole purpose, the whole intention is to manipulate people into a more emotional or worshipful stance, you know, and, and, and your, your motivation can be good. You, I've done that before. And my, my motivation was to get people into a worshipful mindset. Um, if, if I could quote myself at the time, what it would have been something like, I want people to feel uh, emotionally invested in this. I want people to, not just like hear a dry prayer, but really feel like this is something important and that they, they, they feel this kind of swell in their heart as we conclude the sermon and we, we, we finish this, you know, closing prayer, and then we're going to lead back into some more music. And I really want that to flow nicely, you know, but in reality, what I was trying to do is I'm trying to manipulate people. I'm trying to have them have an emotional experience so that the impact of the sermon is stronger and so that the impact of the music that we close with is stronger, you know? I do know. It makes a lot of sense. I was trying, while you were talking, I was just thinking about when I was in like a punk band in high school and frequently going to concerts. And it's like, yeah, it's not really wrong for, you know, like the one example came to mind where I was like, okay, if I'm just hanging out with some friends and some big tatted dude comes up to me and he goes, go punch that dude in the face, I would be like, no, like, what are you talking about? But if he says it on stage while heavy music is playing, I'm like, yeah, and then I jump in a mosh pit. And I would never do that without the music being there, without the whole environment being there. And while that's not, you know, I don't think mosh pits are bad things or anything. I think people are genuinely enjoying um, their time. And I think that can totally be true in church even. I think, you know, I used to preach sermons and I honestly like enjoyed the band when the band would start playing while I was preaching rather than like, uh, you know, afterwards, not because I was trying to emotionally manipulate people, I don't think, more so just because it was smoother. It was just a smoother transition from a performance standpoint. Yeah, nobody wants that awkward like pause between 
two sections of a of a service like that is just uncomfortable exactly but. yeah and trying to minimize that and it's almost like i was thinking about you know when i used to play um you know our school used to have those 24 hour worships where there would be different bands that would have hour and a half sets um which is way too long for a set but uh i would you know have these moments where yeah i was trying to um you could call it emotional manipulation to the crowd. Maybe it was, but you could also just call it like trying to create an environment, like you were saying, but maybe trying to create an environment almost of safety where people can kind of let their guard down, um, especially, frankly, in a school where there wasn't a lot of safe space to be vulnerable. And I think like one of the few refuges was like kind of this um uh worship music environment what and and maybe i'm leading the question a little too hard but i do want to hear your opinion like what do you think christian music could be at its best at its best okay that's an interesting question so at its best i think christian music could just be music that expresses um the feelings beliefs and experiences of people who are Christians. You know, Christian music is a very broad term and topic because it can include, depending on your definitions um, and ideas, it can include a very, very wide range of things. Um, You know, a lot more than just church music. Definitely. And we're going to actually get into some of those definitions right after this break. In a world full of toxic Christianity, one man has elected to change everything. What's his name? No, no what, what's his name? <laughs> oh, it's me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm John Verner, son of Timothy Verner. It's <laughs> my dad's real name. God help the poor guy. <laughs> I'm just out here trying to tell people Christianity's a cult. Yeah, he is. And he's even written a whole freaking book about it. And now you can read all about his opinions in The Cult of Christianity by John Verner. Yeah, you should go buy my book, guys. It helps me buy Taco Bell. Well, speaking of definitions, um, you're talking about uh, Christian music being broad. I I have, like three different definitions i just kind of made up as you know i like to do ah yes the best way to come up with a definition yeah absolutely i don't need a dictionary i just i have my brain whenever whenever someone says the oxford dictionary says i just immediately tune it out because i don't care exactly right like if i want to know oxford's opinion i'd go to oxford yeah, I want to know your definition. Exactly. So Christian music I see is like the biggest umbrella, right? Like Christian music is any music that sings from a Christian worldview in an obvious way. And I put in an obvious way there because some people be like, you know, this is technically Christian music. And I feel like that's not fair. No, but seriously, that's like, so so where does the line go? Because are you talking Chance the Rapper, John Bellion? Or are you talking like you 2 Like where where is that line? Yeah, so Chance the Rapper, the one I'm most familiar with that you just mentioned, uh, I would say like he's probably like one of those who has sung Christian music before. I wouldn't call him a Christian artist, probably, because I don't think all his songs are from a Christian worldview. He doesn't define himself by his Christianity, but rather... 
yeah so like when the whole song is basically like praise god i mean it's like okay like you could probably say contextually knowing that he's from a christian faith that's a christian music what do you do with kanye west uh well ever since kanye dropped that christian album he's been dead to me so it doesn't really matter um (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah, I couldn't listen to it. It was actually painful. I, like I remember listening to that uh, that album and being like, I would rather like easily rather listen to Lecrae. Uh, like, there's better Christian bad. rap. It was, it was a total. There's much life. much better Christian rap. Uh, you hear that, Kanye? I'll rap battle you because you're trash. Um, anyways, Please do it. So, uh, yeah, so that's like the largest umbrella, though, is just Christian music. But then, like, worship music is a little more narrow. Worship music is music primarily sung to the christian god in the context of a worship service uh with the goal being to glorify honor and obey that god's request to be praised and uh, that's pretty narrow but that's narrow on purpose i mean like because people could be like i worship in my car and it's like well good for you we're talking about worship music specifically yeah there's a lot of ways and forms of worship but as musically speaking i think your definition is pretty good yeah, so you got the larger umbrella. Christian music is just general Christian worldview. You got worship music, the stuff that happens at church, basically. And then you've got indoctrination music. And indoctrination music is not strictly religious. Indoctrination music is basically children's songs designed to create neuropaths in young minds. And that's a, that's your ABCs, Twinkle Twinkle. Like, it's little stuff like that that, like... Oh, say can you... Oh, nope, too far? Too far? <laughs> Uh, leave that for uh, the Cult of America podcast. Um, Different <laughs> but... podcast. Still valid. Different podcast. But no, seriously, I think that does apply, though. When we're talking about indoctrination music, again, like some of it has value, right? Like it's good to teach your kids the ABCs. And I don't from... know, John. Is it? <laughs> don't do that podcast thing where you just ask, is it? <laughs> to like try to get the other person. Yes. Uh, it is good to teach your kids ABCs. I know, hot take, but I'm going to say it. uh, <laughs> it's it's a good thing to do. Um, so yeah, indoctrination music isn't necessarily like always a bad thing, uh, but it is specifically for young people, not for older people. I don't know. How do you feel about those definitions? Are they are they all right, or do they need a little refining? Um, I'd say overall, I, I'd say they're they're pretty accurate definitions. Um, your your definition of Christian music works for me too. I, I think that usually when I think of Christian music, I, I actually you know I, the, for all my snarkiness, when I bring up somebody like Chance the Rapper or or uh, whoever um, like that, it. it it's not really who I think of when I think of Christian music. When I think of Christian music, I do think of your more, well, this is dating the uh, the world I grew up in, but somebody's going to be Stephen Curtis Chapman or, you know, Michael W. Smith or Brandon Heath or, you know, Matthew West, any of that, any of that kind of stuff where every song is about Christianity in some form or another. Every song is about God. Um. And their whole career is built around it. They're probably in a, a label that specifically and explicitly defines themselves as Christian. That that's usually what I think of when I think of Christian music. And then your your definition of worship music is it's very technical, but it's pretty it's pretty accurate if you ask me. That it's it's music usually sung to God or at God, um, and in the Christian um, experience, that would be you know 
the God described in the Bible. Um, yeah, I, I think that your descriptions are pretty accurate there. Um, indoctrination music is funny because the way you're describing things like ABCs, I don't call that indoctrination music. I consider that more like, I guess, mnemonic devices or uh, educational music, but indoctrination works too. Sure, I guess. Um, and, and certainly, and it's certainly applicable when you're, when you're teaching kids like, you know, songs like, uh, whatever I, I'm actually, I guess the only thing I could think of off the top of my head is Jesus loves me, which is probably not the worst thing to teach kids who believe in Jesus. Um, and then, uh, father Abraham, which is a completely meaningless song. <laughs> hey, he had many sons. Um, he had many <laughs> actually had two. He had two. Read your stinking Bible. There no, were two. I'm one of them, and so are you, Chris. So that's at least that's two not right what there. a son is, John. <laughs> oh Lord. Um. Yeah. No, you're right. Like I could probably say, yeah. Like ABCs might be more educational. Indoctrination music, yeah. Like you know, like any, like um, you know, I don't know what kids sing at school because I was homeschooled, but like anything that has to do with like God bless the USA or like anything like that. Like again, like that's not. Again, like, I don't want to just be immediately saying something controversial. Like, I'm not inherently saying it's bad we teach the kids the Pledge of Allegiance, even if I might think that. But, uh, but like, I don't, I don't think it has to be. I think there's a totally valid perspective that's like, no, when we're indoctrinating kids, and it is slightly different than educational. That's a good point. Because I'm not just talking about songs that are, yeah, like, mnemonic devices. I'm talking about, like, hey, like, I want, uh, you know, there's songs about, like, um, clean up, clean up, everybody do your share, like, that kind of stuff. Um, it's not strictly educational. Like, no, you're trying to um, instill a type of morality um, to a kid. And, uh, and like, you know, there's nothing wrong with, like, maybe later in life, in a therapeutic way, self-soothing by singing a song like that as an adult, you know? Yeah, that's why I sing clean up, clean up, everybody do your share while I sob and clean my bedroom. I thought you were going to say while I tell my wife to clean that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually not how my marriage looks. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyways, okay, we got the definitions out of the way, but maybe they'll be helpful when we talk about um, the famous worship wars uh, of of the church, which are like... It's this weird thing where, again, if you didn't grow up in the church, you have this is like these are deep tracks only. This is like really getting into the weeds about uh, church culture. I was going to say, if you're like a huge war buff and like you think like World War Two is just real fascinating and the deep cuts are like World War One and the War of 1812. Let me tell you, the worship wars going to be a disappointment. Yeah, maybe only nerds like me find it very interesting, but I do because it really does like affect what churches people go to like probably larger than theology does like it's i think it's the number one thing that define i I think most people choose their church based on the music i've heard so many people say that the music is good and that's their reason for going to a church or the music just isn't that good is their reason for leaving and and uh you know even the church i grew up in there have been multiple worship pastors and every time there's a change you see a exodus happen because people cannot handle well for one thing people can't handle change very rapidly but another thing is music is just like super super important to people in the church absolutely incredibly important 
Yeah, so to to just summarize it for the listener, like worship wars have been around for at least 50 years, probably even longer. I think a lot longer. I mean, yeah, the, the, I will say that like it's an internal debate within evangelicalism as to whether like older hymns or more current, whatever year it happens to be, more current Christian music is more, quote, worshipful, more Christian or more in my opinion, indoctrinating. While most hymns sung by evangelicals are over uh, 300 years old, the hymns are, most contemporary Christian music has been written in the last five to 50 years, um, with new music being introduced more often. Uh, And to just kind of summarize the split a little more, like contemporary Christian music tends to be more emotional, dramatic, with... um, simple concepts, repetition, and a focus on the individual or collective relationship to Jesus specifically. And those who support this music view it as more realistic, honest, exciting, relevant, and simple, and thus a more acceptable way to focus on God in both worship services and on the radio. The arguments against this form tend to be, um, tend to emphasize the theological emptiness and vagueness and sometimes, in my opinion, creepiness of this style and find it somewhat (laughs) um, irreverent or juvenile. Is that is that a pretty fair summation of perspectives on contemporary music? Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a broad summary, I think that does a really good job. You're basically you get you get one side of things. It's like we should be with the times we should be peppy and fun and exciting and um or or just emotionally driven uh and then on the other end of the spectrum you've got well you know just because this hymnal's dusty doesn't mean it isn't you know the most biblically accurate and precise and that's basically just that that's always the fight is should we just be super snotty about the exact definitions and theological precision of the lyrics or should it be more about the the quality of the music because you know you'll you'll hear some actually better arguments in favor of um the the more whatever the more contemporary emotional peppy music you'll hear some better arguments for that every once in a while which will say like well if the music sucks that doesn't really does that really honor god is it worshipful to play garbage music (laughs) um which is a great question. <laughs> well, and I think uh, the the that I'll pose it this way, you know, the more traditional c- Christian music does tend to be more stoic, concentrated, specific, uh theological, lyrical and focused on biblical narratives or complex religious concepts rather than simple ones. And proponents mm-hmm. of this style view it as more robust, focused, reverent, honoring and uh and sound, to, you know, as far as uh holding up to the test of time, which makes it feel more like an act of obedience. And the arguments against that traditional kind of music emphasize how there's an emotional emptiness, uh, unsingable melodies, uh, outdated language, and sometimes depressing nature of the style. And, And it's totally fair to find it rather cold and boring. What's really interesting is that when I was a worship leader, you know, and I had a pretty very unique experience in that I was a contempt quote unquote, this was my title, right? Director of contemporary worship, um, which sounds way cooler than it was, which is uh, I was, you know, a part-time musician 
playing music at a uh, at a Lutheran church. And you know, my my job and task was to lead the music for the contemporary worship services, um, which were ironically much to people's surprise when I would explain my job. That was the smaller service. Um, you know, at, at the Lutheran church that I was a part of, it was the traditional services that were actually more popular and and um, more well attended. And even within the contemporary services uh, group of people, something that really surprised me that I did not anticipate um, was that the music they were looking for was not actually, they, they weren't looking for contemporary music per se they were looking for upbeat music. Um, and it was really, it, the divide was not between modern uh, worship music and traditional hip, uh, like hymns. And the divide was instead between um, what was perceived as traditional music in the sense that you described it, which is, you know, depressing at its worst and and less interesting musically and more, you know, deep in lyrics sometimes and the, the 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 peppy exciting fun upbeat music and being me the the music i was playing at, the, at these contemporary worship services was it was as modern as it was it wasn't always the most upbeat music i i i've always been into you know bordering on an emo person i suppose <laughs> The music that I've played uh, in worship services has often been very contemplative and, I don't know, quieter a lot of times. And so because I would bring a lot of that in, I actually received a lot of criticism because they would say like, you know, you know, we want to hear the the upbeat and like cheerful music. And like, I was explicitly told as a like 23 year old that the young people wanted to hear more upbeat music that's what'll bring in the young people. And I'm like, you know that you're 70 and you're talking to a 23 year old, right? I was about to say you, I, I, you know, I played with that worship group that you led at that church a couple times. We were the youngest people at that church. <laughs> Absolutely. Other than children who were forced to go. Yeah. And it's a, I think that's like actually maybe kind of pointing out maybe, maybe the criticisms of both where it's like, if you're just looking for more upbeat music, like that's probably lacking some depth um, in any kind of theological sense, but that might not be bad. It might be fine to just have fun while playing music and it might be okay to have fun at church, God forbid. And, uh, and I think like, that's like a lot of these tensions are splits based on just different priorities of people that are really not that big a deal. I do. F I remember finding it pretty uncomfortable when, like, a church would have a traditional and a contemporary service because I just felt mm. like it was such a weird thing. I didn't grow up with that. Um, I grew up on hymns, uh, even though, like, I would totally go to like camp or like other churches' youth group and have plenty of experience with contemporary Christian music. But I grew up on hymns, and I never actually saw them as like quite as dry and dusty as a lot of people my age probably did. Um, I just hated the the musical element of them. Sometimes I felt like it should be updated, uh, but I I didn't care about the like the I don't know worship wars so to speak. I was like, why can't I sing hymns and be okay with it, or sing contemporary Christian music and be okay with it? I I for me personally, I always found it kind of frustrating that there was such a big divide. Um, I ran into this. That was something that I noticed when I started attending uh, Bible college was 
you definitely, uh, in the freshman class especially, you would pick up pretty quickly on who was from a background of hymns and who was from a background of more contemporary worship music styles. Because depending on depending on the style of music that was performed for different like events or or chapel or whatever it was, you would get different comments from the people afterwards. You know, I remember hearing people basically go, I don't know why they had to change that hymn. Um, you know, that, that seemed unnecessary to me. And then you'd have the people who were like, oh my gosh, so I love this like new song. It's so great, you know? And there were these two extreme reactions. And I remember being like, why can't we just have both? Why is that hard for people? Like, let's just like enjoy both. There's, there's good things to enjoy on both ends of the spectrum, I, you know, un, until you think Christianity is a cult. Um, <laughs> but when, it, it, if you are invested in the beliefs that you're espousing, like, then why not, why not both? I, I, I still to this day do not understand why people are not more often like, let's, let's enjoy some tradition and some old school music. And let's also bring in more creative modern interpretations and just new creations i i truly can't wrap my head around why that is so difficult for most people there might be a generational component there might be some other components but even so in my opinion both have fatal flaws uh both contemporary music and traditional christian music and one of the most obvious flaws to me is it loses touch with the music itself so quickly um though it would make sense that like in a in a you know spiritual community that lyrics would be the main um focus of music that's sung collectively you know buzzwords or made-up christian concepts um you know they, they become a distraction from the quality of the music itself and as a musician myself and a music appreciator it is actually not unfair to call it offensive um music might be sacred in its own right and sometimes it feels that like christian music just desecrates the art of music itself wow as a strong statement but i i sometimes i think you're right um i think most often i'm likely to agree with you when i uh turn on like whatever the you know, I, I don't like the radio and I don't listen to the radio very often, but if I am unfortunate enough to accidentally switch on the radio to the channels that play like the, the Christian radio stations, locally speaking, then I'm inclined to agree with you. Like I, I will hear current, what is currently being played on Christian radio. And I usually am just kind of like, well, this is an abomination. Uh, just like, it's hard for me not to cringe or roll my eyes. Um, you know, occasionally it'll be, it'll be what I find odd. And again, I, I most recently have not really been listening to any sort of Christian radio or anything like that. But what I, I had noticed in the last few years that music had shifted, um, on, on Christian radio and, and popular Christian music really, really strongly shifted towards just basically just being straight up worship music. Like you were, you were listening to songs. People were listening to songs in the car that they were singing in church, which when I was growing up, that actually wasn't really the case. You know, you get a little bit of that, but for all the Christian music I was engulfed in uh, growing up, it was still Christian pop music. It was Christian rock music. It was not Christian worship music specifically. Like it was not music intended to, 
be sung by a congregation. And somehow in the last, at this point, I guess we're looking at probably six years, um, music in the Christian, contemporary Christian genre shifted really strongly towards uh, this like this congregational style of worship music. Um, so that now when you turn on the radio, you're likely to hear worship songs um, rather than cheesy Christian pop songs. Um, something I, I, I find very odd. And I, I'm not a huge fan of cheesy Christian pop songs, but it feels, I guess it, to me, it, it almost feels even more insulting to be like, okay, so you're saying that we can only have one kind of Christian music now? Like, this is all that we have? This is all we get? Um you know, all music has to constantly just be sung directly to God and it needs to just be this cheerful praise music. And it can't, we, we can't just like write songs about life from a Christian perspective. I, I find that really insulting because while I, I appreciate and recognize the, the Christian worldview, even if I, I don't always uh, connect with or agree with it anymore, I, oh, I find it incredibly frustrating when um, expression is limited. And so for somebody to not even be able to perform music from the perspective that is quote unquote Christian, for somebody not even be able to do that um, without being like explicitly trying to perform a worship song, that, that really irks me and frustrates me. Absolutely. Yeah, same here. I mean, there's nothing wrong with expressing one's personal beliefs through music. Um, but both the corporate and cultural practice of singing Christian music is rarely upfront about the communities in Christian music or their intentions. So hymns might be straightforward and detailed in their concepts, but they're sung by thousands of people who don't even know all the words they're singing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and worship song, you know, more contemporary worship songs might be catchy. But, uh, you know, this is an old joke, but sometimes you can replace the word Jesus with the word Jesse and you have a love song good enough for pop radio. Yes. Famous, famous, uh, famous worship song. Jesus's girl. <laughs> oh, geez. It doesn't quite work the other way. But um, <laughs> but the same, <laughs> but the same, uh, you know, the same methods used to teach children's their ABCs are, in my opinion, used in the evangelical cult for you to believe their realities. Uh, I know that's harsh, but I, I really don't know any other conclusions. No, I think that there is there's definitely at least an element of truth to that. If, if, if just not across the board, that's that's true. I, I think of uh, oh oh shoot the, the 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 Bible. I don't even know what to describe it as. How would you describe a wanna, John? Let's let's just put you on the spot here. Describe describe a wanna in an uninflammatory way. I will I will say. <laughs> Awana is a Bible day camp at a lot of churches. Cool. Yeah. That sounds not even accurate enough for me. Uh, even in an uninflammatory way. It's just, it is, it is straight up a Bible indoctrination uh, meeting or group or club. The, imagine the Boy Scouts, but it's about the Bible, basically. Imagine the the Boy Scouts, but more boring and just incredibly focused on the Bible the whole time. Um, but there's candy, and that's great. And I think of Awana when you talk about indoctrination songs, because I after after my you know Awana club or whatever, I, I reached an age group where there was no longer a club for me. The way to stay involved with that 
you know, same group of people was to be a leader. So I was a leader of this, like the preschool group, the cubbies or whatever. And we spent half the time, you know, doing little songs and we would sing and teach the kids hand motions and whatever. And it was fun and it was, it was cute and whatever, but like, you know, I, I make my joke about father Abraham, but that was the whole thing, right. was just singing these songs and teaching these kids, like mostly, you know, fairly positive concepts from the Bible, but a lot of times there were some things that weren't so great. Uh, and the the songs and all those things are entirely designed to indoctrinate. Like that is there. I have no question about that. That 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 is the purpose. That was the point of those songs. Was you're 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 basically carving neuropaths in these kids. Like you're you're tre- you're creating connections in their brain so that they associate ideas um, and words with other certain ideas and words. And, um, I don't know that, that looking back that in particular makes me really uncomfortable because while I think that you should be able to teach kids things like there is something weird about bringing a bunch of random kids together at some group and then basically teaching them the, to like, at, at the age of three, four and five, you're teaching them the, the beliefs of a, uh, particular religion i i i children who aren't even your own too i find that i think i find that very uncomfortable and very odd and the role of music in that is is very uncomfortable for me yeah uh me and uh amelia who you know we grew up together and we didn't do a wana my church had its own thing of course it did um <laughs> it had uh we we were part of king's kids was the thing and we had a bunch of songs and me and her have joked you know in our uh now mid-20s about some of the songs and i i do just want to like to crystallize the point you're making one of the songs that was a kid favorite because there were a lot of you know gestures that went along with it you got to march it was called uh the army of the lord and uh i'm not sure if you you're familiar but it literally goes i may never march in the infantry yes i may never uh shoot the artillery is that next uh yeah yeah i may never ride the cavalry shoot yeah. the alt- artillery i may never uh, zoom more the enemy um but i'm but in the lord's I'm in army the lord's army yes sir. yeah yes sir i'm in the lord's army yes sir and like that actually like if you come at it from a unbiased perspective and look at that that is really creepy what you're uh getting oh yes to do i'm imagining like someone f- disconnected from christian culture listening to that and just i, I you know like my assumption, if I were coming at that without knowing what I was hearing, like I would just walk in and be like, "Oh, cool! So like this is just like the Christian version of ISIS, then, right? Like they're they're training these kids to be like terrorists, right? Which isn't accurate. That might sound super inflammatory, but it's really, honestly, like when you see a, a, a you know, in my case, I can remember the exact room we were in. There had to be fifty kids ranging from like elementary to like probably even early high school marching doing hand motions which when you say shoot the artillery you start shooting people around you like gesturing like you're going to shoot people around you then saying yes sir and then saying i worship the lord and uh, and talk about creating neuropaths like even now i guarantee if like that song came on like there's something in my brain that would want to do the motions now even as i'm conscious of like how that's problematic 
Absolutely. And, and what creeps me out is like, that was for me, at least I was into that. Like anything that made me feel like I, I fully and completely understand the effectiveness of something like, granted, again, this is, this is not entirely, you know, these are not the same things always, but I, I can understand the effectiveness and the appeal of something like Hitler Youth. Um, because I remember as a kid, like any aspect of any kind of church group, Bible group, Awana, any of those types of things that felt militaristic, I was super into it. Like I thought it was so cool to be a part of this like uniform group that was like all acting on the same like terms. So even that song, like I remember being a little, little kid and thinking like, oh yeah, this is one of the good ones because we're all like, you know, we're marching together in unison and like we're, we're, we're shooting the artillery artillery in unison. Like it, it felt so good. And that's powerful. That is a lot of power that you can hold over these, like, you know, children who are basically out of toddlerhood. Um, and it, it, it's disturbing looking at it from an outside perspective. You look at that and even, even if you know the people, you know the intentions and you know, like, well, no, these people are not actually trying to like create terrorists or knowingly even indoctrinate children. They're just, you know, trying to entertain them. I can't look at it and not be like, and that's creepy as all get out. Like that, that's straight up uncomfortable, scary sounding uh, rhetoric that you are teaching five-year-olds. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to be so extreme, but at the same time, I, I can't help but wonder when I picture how um, extreme it was. Like, is there is it possible that that's why songs like Amazing Grace that are so much less harmless or sorry so much uh more harmless and less harmful um and like are you know uh and and in my opinion like a good song like I enjoy the song like but it's like is there a certain neuropath um that was created that like makes you like that song um and that's where I think this manipulation uh isn't just something that happens to kids, but might even happen to adults in the system. Oh yeah. I think, I think um, that's absolutely the case with adults as well. Um, and I think that is part of the reason that you'll find a lot of older adults, especially in the church, they will be very, very defensive of their hymns. And whether that's them saying we should be singing hymns and we shouldn't be singing these dumb new songs or um, the other one that I'd run into a lot was we shouldn't be changing these hymns. We should sing the lyrics I grew up singing and we should sing them at the tempo and time signature and style that I sang them in. And, you know, it, cause, because there is an emotional attachment to these things. So, you know, you have somebody grow up singing a hymn um, their whole life. Amazing Grace is a great example because that is probably one of the most popular hymns. A lot of non-Christian people know that hymn, uh, at least the first verse of that hymn, because it gets sung in so many different contexts. Um, there is a love that is attached to songs that are sung um, at important emotional events throughout life, whether that's like funerals or weddings or uh even church services and all those different kinds of uh, contexts. 
and for somebody to grow up singing a, a song uh, and then to hear it later on in life, you know, after after decades of knowing a song very well, you hear it altered, uh, changed up. And unless you're an artistic person who's into like creative covers, like you're going to be like, well, I was trying to sing along and I got confused because it wasn't the way I you know, learned it growing up. And I think that's dumb. Um, I think there is a really strong emotional attachment to songs that somebody has sung for literal decades. Um, and that is where the power of hymns comes in because most Christian, like contemporary Christian worship songs, those aren't sung for more than eh, 10 to 15 years at the very longest. You know, uh, if you pull out a song from the 90s, you might, it might be like almost entertaining. Like people will start laughing because it's a, it's a throwback. Um, but you don't waves of mercy, sing. waves of grace. Exactly. But when's the last time you sang waves of mercy, waves of, well, you know, when in, when in the two thousands or the 2010s, did you sing waves of mercy, waves of grace at yeah, like never. a major worship yeah. group, like any, any sort of major event, you weren't singing that song. You were singing something from the more recent last few years yeah absolutely and uh kind of shifting away maybe from the like more like intellectual deconstruction of how maybe neuropaths and emotions and attachment like influence how people perceive music in the context of church like one of the things i feel like people don't really talk about when it comes to like music and church is that uh it creates subcultures that are very toxic and secretive like the juvenile <laughs> the juvenile gossip and toxic behavior among christian bands and choirs is reminiscent of a movie about high school like there's love affairs there's status wars there's talking behind people's backs there's judgment from different leadership committees and overall there's just this weird lack of accountability or on the flip side overbearingness from people who do not understand music or musicians i know you and i have both experienced this oh yeah 100 percent. you know and it's really entertaining to look at it um you know you look at like more commercial like christian music and um the way that somebody like i um the first thing that comes to mind is like somebody like amy grant comes to mind you know which is going back a ways now um but I know that like there was this kind of discomfort and mistrust for somebody like Amy Grant in the Christian, the, the conservative, uh, not conservative, but the contemporary Christian music uh, industry because she got divorced and like, oh, oh, you know, like, oh, that's scandalous, you know. Um, but then on a very micro level, you know, you'd see the same thing like you were describing within a band um, at a church or something like that, like. You got the weird love affairs. You got the weird drama, very much high school drama, um, which, you know, a lot of my experiences were in high school. So high school drama maybe wasn't quite so surprising, but it was definitely a huge factor in the whole thing. And and it is funny that you would see almost two extremes that you would have the, you'd have the times where it felt like there was no oversight and, and you'd be shocked at like, wow, they you know, people are just kind of looking the other way at that. Like they just kind of let those people get away with it. Um, and then on the other hand, you'd also have times where you're like, you're being, you know, micromanaged on every level, what kind of music you're playing, the, the, the songs you're choosing, the life that you're living, the life that your friends are living, who are you hanging out with? Because, you know, if you're, you're on that stage representing Christ. So, you know, like, it's pretty concerning to me that you hang out with this guy when it's known that he smokes pot every once in a while, or, uh, 
I heard that that girl has, you know, been sleeping around. And therefore the fact that you hang out with her is questionable. Um, and, and so that level of micromanagement, just because you were involved with worship music, that, that drove me crazy from the very beginning, just that like, there was this expectation that like, well, if you're on the stage that somehow you are different from or above or better than and have to be better than the the rest of the people in the group that you're ministering to. You know, if, if I'm leading worship, I consider myself one of the worshipers and the people that I'm with. I, I don't consider myself above them or better than them. I'm using my gifts or skills to, you know, lead those people, but I'm not actually like in charge of them or better than them in any way and it always drove me crazy that sometimes there was this expectation that you needed to be you needed to be better than them um it wouldn't be explicitly said that way but you know if if there's any hint of um what the church might consider inappropriate or scandalous in your life then they're going to come in and say hey you know you have no business being on that stage in fact you have no business um, even, you know, doing sound, um, in the, in the back, you know, like you, you have no business being involved because, you know, you're imperfect and it's too well known that you're imperfect. Ooh, boy, you're really hitting on some of my buttons here. Uh, just like, these are, these are situations that I, I experienced myself and also knew other people. Uh, I won't go into any details, but there definitely was at least one person I knew at the uh, school you and I went to that got kicked off chapel team for legal drinking. Uh, they were totally of age and they got caught drinking and then couldn't play worship music anymore. As, as it is commonly known that drinking alcohol makes you your Christianity becomes invalid because you've consumed an alcoholic beverage. Well, but that's the thing is they weren't kicked out of the school, but they weren't allowed to do play worship music. And that's what this weird like subculture thing is like being on stage. Definitely. I don't know. Being on stage favors the attractive and presentable in those, in those environments. And it, and it cares little about musical skill or passion, Additionally, regulation about how to present the music is inevitable in worship settings and creates some of the most like Pharisee-like policies I I witnessed in the cult, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I say, you know, I've, I've got a little sidetracked there because I was just thinking about how much more fun it would have been to lead worship after like a couple of good scotches. Well, and there, I you know, I I I can neither confirm nor deny my um my sobriety while I played worship music in various contexts. Well, I know you well enough to know that's that's not even surprising to me at all. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I was a very well behaved little uh, good Christian boy when I was attending Bible college, so I definitely uh I never never showed up for a worship service inebriated in it even the slightest fashion, which, uh, you know, I'm honestly kind of disappointed because looking back, I'm like, you know, I could have had a really good time and really, you know, I, I think that, you know, just a little loosening up under the influence of alcohol honestly could really help you connect with God on a, on a whole nother level. Uh, and that would have been enough to get me kicked out of Moody right there. So that's, that's fun stuff. Yeah. Well, th- th- this is very random, but there was actually a joke at the church I grew up in because um, we had actual uh, wine for communion and everyone would be like, wow, everyone sings the hymn so much better after communion. <laughs> and I would always laugh. I'm like, yeah, there's a reason for that. That was a very real thing in my church as well. Um, and I always found that kind of amusing that, uh, 
Yeah, without question. That even though it's just a tiny shot, I mean, like half those people haven't had breakfast yet, so they're having a little tiny shot of wine there, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? I do want to sing. I want to sing louder. Yeah, and and you know, kudos for that. Um, and you know, like we joke, but but at the same time, it's like, you know, when it comes to this music, like just like I might not care for pop music or modern country songs, that doesn't mean I don't, you know, I don't think it's wrong for people to enjoy genres I don't care for and you know that goes beyond like a worship war dispute or genre preference like my critique and what I think is a fundamental flaw of Christian music in the United States is that they pair music with faith in such an unbreakable bond that shame and guilt are twisted into the practice of music so I had trouble enjoying good music when I was part of the cult because the greatest good in their opinion Jesus right was not the only concept I wanted my music to center on. In fact, like no biblical language seems to indicate Jesus wanted that either. Joyful noises don't have to be coherent, and grateful praises don't have to be manufactured. I think it's sad that the cult has perhaps prohibited musicians from reaching their full music potential, and maybe it's even prevented music enjoyers from knowing irreligious ways of enjoying music. And And it does actually, in my opinion, strike as tragic and not just a simple, unfortunate happening. It's actually truly sad to me. Yeah, no, I I think I feel the same way. Um, A lot of people are missing out because of the way that the church um, controls and influences the way that we uh, listen to, play, or experience music. I don't know what can be done about it personally. I mean, it's up to someone else because I have no desire to play music in church ever again. <laughs> um, but I, I, I am hopeful that um, that Christians might be able to shift their perspective on music and maybe kind of disentangle. I, I mean, that I know they won't like that I say this, but like disentangle music as a religious practice, even if it's a spiritual one. Yeah. No, I think I think that. I don't think that that's unreasonable. I don't think that that's something that's impossible. It could be challenging and there's a lot of different maybe perspectives on what that could look like. But especially when it comes to just trying to figure out how to authentically uh, express oneself spiritually through music, I think that there there needs to be an open-mindedness and an embracing of that. Um, And at the same time, our rejection of um, using music as a tool to manipulate people. I, I personally, even still, you know, I, I I don't have a really strong connection to uh, worship or the church at this time, but I I don't have an issue with um, a lot of of worship songs, you know, that are really like, particularly the ones that I think. It, when we were at Moody maybe would have been criticized as being kind of shallow. Um, you know, and some of them are really dumb, but there are also other ones that are just really like focused on, on the love of God and, you know, just, just this, um, central idea of mercy, acceptance, um, grace, being loved, being welcomed, um, those kinds of things. I don't necessarily think those are harmful. And I think that like if worship moved in that direction and found a way then to also incorporate more authenticity and honesty 
there there could be a redemption for for Christian music that is really powerful and really valid and valuable um, that maybe is less 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 exclusive less less of something that um, is either telling you what you should or should not believe or think and less also of something that should tell you to um, look at yourself like you're dirt I, I I you know this is kind of a side note but like worship songs that really like are super full of shame that that you know, I, I really connected to those, um, when I was younger, but now I also really, really despise that, um, songs that are really focused on, on basically I am a sack of dirt and, you know, I don't deserve anything from God. Those kind of songs I find especially gross and harmful. Um, because while, you know, sometimes we, we make mistakes, humans make mistakes and do very dumb things and sometimes really evil things we shouldn't spend a bunch of time focusing on how we're garbage and we need to spend more time focusing on how we can welcome others and improve the lives of others and ourselves rather than focusing on how i'm trash and the only reason that i'm not going to burn in hell for eternity is because of god's love well that sounds pretty dark and not productive at all yeah totally and i think it's you know i think of some of my favorite hymns and some of my favorite worship songs you know just to name a few like i really do like um i like amazing grace i like be thou be thou my vision i think is one of the most beautiful yeah. songs oh, of all time absolutely beautiful song and and really well written yeah and then you fast forward like beautiful things by gungor still strikes oh, in my gosh. soul you yes. know and like there's like all these songs that i truly don't want to like eradicate you know <laughs> like i don't want those like gone from history or anything like that uh even the, if even if i don't agree with all the lyrics on like a metaphysical level or whatever um but i think it, i think that is where you have to understand that christian music is a tool used by the cult to manipulate people into repeating um you know, dogma. And I think it's really um, wrongheaded to assume that it's as innocent as it might seem at face value. To swap roles for a second, I'm going to ask you a question. Not allowed. We're out of time. Uh, no. We'll, no. <laughs> no, go ahead. Ask, well, ask away. What would you consider your, you know, because I'm going to force this on you. What, what, what would you consider your favorite and least favorite uh, worship songs? Huh. Okay. Least favorite is definitely, I never even remember the title, but Heaven Meets Earth, like a wet sloppy kiss, whatever the frick that song is. Really? Oh, it's just, well, How He Loves, that's what it is. How He Loves. I just think it's the epitome of a four chord nonsense song that like preys on like emotional cues more than anything because like if you actually look at the lyrics like i i like some of the imagery in that song but like a lot of it is just like weird and cultish <laughs> loves like a hurricane i am a tree yeah you see that's not that that's not how i want to relate to love yeah yeah i guess i guess i see your perspective on that one yeah it's been a while yeah. since i've actually really thought about that song yeah um and it's like i mean it was yeah that's one of those songs that was popular for like four years and then oh whatever. my gosh it never ended yeah um but uh yeah i mean favorite of all time be that my vision i just musically really like the progression of it um so that's up there um i actually really like this is more contemporary i like um 
boldly i approach that's kind of a cool Mm -hmm. song because Mm -hmm. um one musically it's pretty solid and then also it um i like the idea of um i don't know i like the idea of it not being so um contract like it's not like submit like there's a lot of songs that carry this weird like content uh connotation of like submit you know bow down uh in reverence and that's usually a red flag for my ears so like i i I like a song that's like you know uh that uses like home language or like i'm going back to something like that's that that's more likely to strike a chord with me uh do you have any in particular yourself or are you just curious to hear mine yeah no i i i learned long time ago don't ask a question that you don't know your own answer to uh (laughs) um my least favorite, I think the first thing that came to mind when I was like, what would I consider my least favorite worship song? Like, there is this song, I I don't even know if I ever have, I've ever sung it in church. I'm pretty sure we did when I was little. Um, but it was one of those, like, worship songs that I would have heard in the car, like, because my parents were playing a CD or something. And it's this guy, I, ha- I don't even know anything about the dude. His name's Brian Dirksen, but he had this song called Purify My Heart. Um, and it was called... Like it, it, the the chorus goes like refiner's fire, my heart's oh, one desire. Oh, I I'm familiar. Oh, yeah, we joked about yeah. this before. Yeah, oh, refiner's yeah. It's, it's strictly from a music perspective. That song is garbage. It's utterly depressing. It is so painfully slow, and just like it, it just drags. And and it really is. It's the musical. How do I? How do I? It's the musical equivalent of a chemistry lecture it's boring wow it's slow it's depressing um the only well yeah yeah no there's nothing good about it no it's absolutely horrible and 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 the whole song is just like you know purify my heart cleanse me from within and make me holy cleanse me from my sin deep within like it's just depressing it's not and, clever it's oh, not yeah. anything the melody is it's not super creative. boxy um like there's no like <laughs> crescendos or anything like there's nothing no the 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 song is basically i'm garbage you're not make me less garbage and also i'm really bored mm, yeah <laughs> like, definitely like and I, I when you were talking about favorites i also wanted to, to say it is well with my soul is like a um oh yeah that's one that i struggle with because there's a lot of um i don't know there's a lot there the history of the song is really depressing the oh yeah uh, go ahead i was gonna say the teaching like the theology of the song and that the story behind it is really really depressing and there is some there's some room for criticism towards like the it's it's the side of things where you go god's will be done which is very much yeah it can be hard because, you know, when you have an issue with like theodicy and you're like, you know, the problem of evil question and stuff like we got a song that's basically based around it. It's really hard. But at the same time, I think there's a real power in it. And I really have a lot of admiration and respect for a faith that uh, that embraces the fact that, yo, I actually think this is really messed up. This is really hard. And I do not understand this. And if God is in control then I got a lot of questions, but at the same time, I'm still going to stand here and say, like, I love you, that I I trust you, and that I hope that there is some meaning or purpose behind this. 
And while I don't always feel that and reflect that in my in my day-to-day life, I have a lot of respect for that viewpoint that someone can say that as long as it's not in a truly masochistic way, which there are songs that I've heard that are actually just straight up masochistic <laughs> when it comes to God's uh, sovereignty. Yeah, absolutely. And masochism is definitely something we are trying to avoid as a society. Hey, it's been great talking to you, Chris. Um, I do you have anything you want to plug or anything? I I don't know that you would, but uh, any anything you want to promote while you have a platform of you know five people listening or whatever it is, dude. There's five whole people listening now. That's amazing. I guess four because I'm one of them. So, I, um, well, I don't really have anything to plug. I don't produce anything, and I do not want anyone to follow me on social media because I don't use it anymore. Um. I guess just, you know, try to not be a garbage person and maybe, you know, to get a little political, imagine this, don't maybe try not to vote for garbage people if you can, or at least vote for the less garbage people. Um, but that's really all I had to ask from people. Yeah. I don't, I don't have anything that I need you to buy from me or listen to or, or watch or whatever. Cause I don't do shit, um, <laughs> anymore right now not i was not wanting you to get political so i guess we'll just have to throw this whole episode away no i'm just kidding uh the official stance of the cult of christianity podcast stop voting for garbage people um not like not if they were like a like a garbage collector like that's fine like they might actually no 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 garbage any anyone who does garbage work honestly might actually have more valid input in at least local politics than most of the people involved in local politics yeah so i guess our platform is vote for garbage people but don't vote for garbage people Um, exactly all right it sounds good well man it's been real it's been fun and thank you all for listening if you wish to learn more about what's going on in my life or wish to purchase my book go to vernerbooks.com If you'd like to support this podcast, please continue to listen, follow, share, and consider supporting through the link in the show's notes. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help me book guests, upgrade my production value, and start exciting projects. Thank you for listening, and remember to keep love in your life, hope in your heart, and searching in your soul.